Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi Williams, and this is the $6 billion sale. Sports Business Podcast, The Sportacast. Yo, Evan, I got to ask you, did you just see the words that were on the top of the screen as as we were talking there doing the intro? No. It says actual recording is higher quality. Now, are they talking about the content or are they talking about just sort of how our video and audio look? Because if it's the content, that's really good news. Yeah, they're no. just chat GPT is just yeah, replacing exactly. us with just two, two better, more charismatic co-hosts. Yeah. I was like, yeah, you guys, this is fine, but the actual recording will be of higher quality. Like, don't don't worry, I got you. Like that's what I feel like. Somehow AI is 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 infiltrating our podcast. And like, don't worry. The, this is why people keep telling us good things about the podcast, because it's not what we see and hear. It's the end so, result. I'm going to do a Sashnik tangent here. This oh, conversation makes me think about, I'm sure you've seen this, the lettering on rearview mirrors that says objects in the mirror are further than they appear, I've closer than they before. appear. I've done this before. This makes I, no sense. The, the wording on that, you can yeah. read that both ways. I don't know which is actually further, the thing I'm looking at or the actual truth. It. I, I found that wording to be incredibly frustrating my entire life. Oh, oh okay. Well, I'm, I'm, see, you stopped there. I have done that. We've really never discussed this. No. All haven't. right, my own tangent. I'm going to go along that. Think about the kind, what, is the purpose because you realize there's the driver's side mirror and there's the passenger side mirror. The driver's side mirror has the real glass. It never says objects in mirror closer than they appear. Okay. The passenger side driver's yeah. What is the purpose? Your eyesight's traveling. Yeah, Yeah. But what is the purpose of the mirror? It is a safety device. So you know whether it is okay to change lanes. And yet they have they use an altered glass Oh, I assume because it's cheaper that they tell me right there that I know it looks like you have room to move over in this lane at 80 miles an hour, but actually that car or that truck is really close to you. It's closer than it appears. So you may not want, that's insane to me. If it was further away than you appear, I'm like, they said, oh, I got a little more room. This goes the other way. This makes it more dangerous for what? How much do you save? Well, let's get somebody from one of these car companies. How much do you save? Can't you just put the driver's side glass on the passenger side so that it's exactly how far it appears? Like I got 10 feet? <laughs> Some lawyer uh, for Ford in like the yes. 1940s made up this language and we are uh, we are still living with it today. Yeah, it's it ju- just insanity. It's just insanity. By the way, all right. So speaking of insanity, let's get into the commander's <laughs> sale. This is, all right, not a bad segue. Uh, not bad. We, we haven't, had a chance to really talk about it in a while, but this, as of recording, which by the way, the quality of which will be better than we actually do here. Don't worry. Uh, yeah, yeah. Have no fear, listeners. Uh, as of this recording, this is where we stand. Dan Snyder has put his John Hancock on the paper. Josh Harris et al. have put Hancock on paper. I don't believe any of the issues or whatever issues there were in Josh's bid will, will be problematic at the NFL. They'll work that out and a sale will happen. Now, we have been talking about the, the NFL price, the escalation in in asset valuation for years, since David Tepper was really the only one to show up for the Panthers. They got the number then, two, whatever it was. They got the number, or four something, right? What was, what was the Tepper number? I believe it was two, three, two, right? Two something, right. Okay, yeah. right. So you get this doubling. Now you're getting six without the NFL having to really alter its rules of, you know, the senior partner and how much they have to put down. Great. However, if Josh Harris, Mitch Rails, and, and this group has to come up with creative financing, probably not exactly the way the NFL would like it, how far are we from the NFL saying, 
all right, um, maybe we need to get some private equity. No, we don't love disclosure. You know, we don't want anybody getting a peek into our business. That's why we at the at the league office, you know, gave up our tax exempt status because we didn't like having to say how much Roger Goodell was being paid and other executives. So let's put that behind. You know, um, I understand that nobody likes disclosure, and there's some other reasons. You know, they don't like corporate ownership. They only want the good of the team going into decision making. But something has to change if they want six billion on commanders. Maybe not. They may actually get lucky again in that the next team. Maybe it's the Seahawks, and yeah. that is what Jeff Bezos wants. So okay, you know he'll he'll just write a check and he can do it. But we're getting to a point where something may have to change because there's just too few people who can make this happen rather easily. I, th- I think you're right. And and the crazy thing about this, Scott, is I would argue that we've been at this point for yeah. a long time, right? The the, the Buffalo Bills sale um, to, to the Pagulas, um, there was not a whole lot of other competition for the Pagulas, right? There was concern around the Shout NFL at that Cornwall. time that if, that if the Pagulas didn't exist or that fell through, there was not a ton waiting in the wings to do that. Right. But they got their guy, local billionaire, had just had a huge transaction, had a lot of money, really loved Buffalo, easy sale. Then you mentioned David Tepper. Again, it was not a vibrant sale process. There was not a ton waiting in the wings if David Tepper was not interested. But the NFL got their guy, 2.3, record $2.3 billion sale, done. Then flash forward to last year, the Broncos, again, they, they got their guy. Big price done. Um, and you can argue it, it took maybe a little longer than people thought. And maybe some people thought $7 billion and it didn't get to that point. But the commanders, they get a very established, well-known sports team owner to come in. It's a bigger group than the NFL wanted, sure. But it's a huge number. Done. I think it's going to take a bad process, right? And if there was – I had a banker tell me the other day, if, if there were two commanders for sale right now, the second one might not sell. Um, it, it's going to take something like that, right? It's going to take a process that doesn't yield a, a, a hockey stick new record valuation to someone that they would love to have in their ownership circle uh, to change these things. That's now, my – But reading. I know. I, I can't say the name. But again, like you, you have people on the sideline in the runway who maybe like peek at a process. or. But I can tell you there is another – person. Uh, I don't want to give the exact net worth because it will, I would say between 13 and $17 billion net worth, who has very recently decided, and now I'm going to say he or she, see how I didn't eliminate 50% of the population to make it easier for people. He or she uh, wants to get into sports. Okay, And I can guarantee you this person has started the sort of the, just the process, the acclimation, the nice to meet you, the I'm going to look around, I'm going to talk with this person, what goes into it, what do I need to know? So maybe I, maybe they just get lucky again, that there's just enough uh, uh, folks like this who can cut the check and maybe keep the cycle going a little bit longer. But I still think uh, you and I agree that there's going to have to be some some give on, particularly the NFL, uh, if they want to have these sale processes be, go a little bit smoother. And, and one of the under-discussed parts of this equation is that as, as franchise valuations soar, not only are these teams harder to buy, they're also harder to pass down to 
kids and and to heirs and and we're going to have at some point soon um and we've had them before right the broncos sold after pat boland died because his kids couldn't figure out exactly how to handle that that transition i am um, not bullish on cryogenics figuring it all out <laughs> there's going to be more and more teams at which the the tax bill associated with handing down a team that is suddenly worth Six billion dollars after it was purchased for a hundred million dollars a decade and a half ago. There's going to be teams that are going to have to hit the market because of that. So I, it's funny. The obviously, if you're an owner, that there's ego associated with valuation. You want these assets to be worth more and more and more. But it, it, in some ways, if you're Jerry Jones and you're not going to sell the Cowboys. What's the difference between the Cowboys being worth ten billion dollars or five billion dollars? Outside of the fact that the 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 estate tax check. Well, what if, whoa, 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 if what, what you about die, your ability to borrow against the asset to do other things? Do, does Jerry Jones have a problem borrowing money if the Cowboys well, are worth said, half as much as they are right now? And five. What if he wants to compete with? Um, I don't know. Uh, give me Steve Jobs's yacht, or yeah, I don't know. <laughs> what if he wants to I, buy one of the mega yachts and he's got to beat out Shad Khan? I believe you reach a point where Jerry Jones has no problem getting easy, easy, very cheap money. Uh, I don't think that the, 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 the astronomical valuation on the Cowboys gets gets him that. And, and again, I'm just I'm talking kind of, you know, I'm theorizing here, but I do think that there's a lot of unintended consequences that happen, not just for new owners, but also for existing owners as uh, as these franchise valuations just suddenly take off. All right. Let, let's pivot to hockey because. We do have multiple groups interested in the Ottawa Senators, Mm -hmm. and Ryan Reynolds is not among them. Apparently, Ryan and his group had requested an exclusive negotiating period. Why that should be granted to him, I'm I'm not sure, Uh, but it wasn't. So uh, I have said on multiple occasions, I think Ryan would be an asset for any professional sports franchise because he and Rob McElhenney get content <laughs> better than almost anybody. Like I marvel at their ability to turn everything into consumable content that people really want to see. Uh, I think we do wonders with an NHL team. And I, I think maybe Ryan figured I do bring added value. I bring equity that is not dollars and cents. And maybe I should be treated differently and we should have an exclusive period. But anyway, the answer was no. So and, a bid was not you, presented. Do you know in your reporting? Do you, do you know what the deal is there? Like that seems like a massive miscalculation to 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 want this thing, and then if you actually want to buy the senators, what's wrong with being the fifth group in in the bidding process? It just yeah. seems like a funny thing to ask for, and then when you don't get it, just to bow out entirely. Well, again, there's out of a process, and maybe he is. You know, maybe yeah. he's just out, and then there's Steve Cohen. I'm out. You know, I'm not taking that's part. my read you know, also just yeah. because I said I'm out and no way and doesn't mean I can't jump back in before. But like we're getting late in the ball game here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the senators, uh, as it played out, they have four bids in uh, at least one of them needs two commas to be written down properly uh, with pen and paper. <laughs> so that means for those of you who are trying to figure like tilting your eyes, furrowing your brow, that's a billion dollar bid. Wait, that's um, three commas, isn't it? Two commas, right? No, one comma, zero, 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 comma, zero, zero, zero. A billion. Two, <laughs> no, two that's commas. That's a million. <laughs> oh, wait. I need more billions? Three, Trace sorry. Comas. More commas. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I feel it's like time zones here. Yeah, okay. 
Sorry, extra. Give me an extra comma. Good, thank you. That's like the, a Dr. Evil uh, Austin Powers. Yeah, that was One million dollars. <laughs> One million. Whoops, sorry. Yeah, so we got an extra. There we go. Uh, I hope Sal Galifiotto, who's running this process, does better commas than I do. Um, but they got four offers. And we, like we said, with, and is it a byproduct of, well, it's just a more manageable number? Like, I don't, just based on sort of a, how attractive an asset is, if you're looking at the Washington Commanders, even with the need for a new stadium, and Ottawa, by the way, with the need for a new arena, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. as we always say, people don't want turnkey, right? Nobody wants a turnkey solution in sports. They want a media opportunity, which I'm not even sure what those are anymore, uh, or a real estate opportunity. Well, you've got two great real estate opportunities with the teams on the market. Dan Snyder was not going to get, because of just how people felt about him, he was not going to get a good deal on an arena. I don't know if, I don't know how much may, they're going to look for public money, who knows. But they he was not going to get a new stadium. Ottawa wants a nice downtown arena. That will add great value to the franchise. So people were asking, you know, why why a billion? Why? It wasn't just the number of bidders and more bidders is more money. But you're in the capital of Canada where hockey is uh the co-national sport along with lacrosse. It's the winter national sport. And uh, you've got an opportunity for a, a, an arena, so that's why that's why you're seeing three commas in these bids. And, and to hammer that point home, the I was looking through our NHL valuations the other day. The the Ottawa Senators, third lowest in the league in revenue, twenty million dollar revenue last season from real estate and related businesses. The Edmonton Oilers last year. $240 million from real estate and related businesses. Um, again, two Canadian cities, one of which is the capital, but th that's the opportunity that is here. That if you can get a, get an arena downtown, if you can build it with the bells and whistles and also the surrounding mixed use retail, commercial, residential, if you can build that and it's a, it's a 365 days a year revenue stream, right? Sports teams are not. The, the, the hockey season doesn't last all that long, right? In the middle of the summer, the Ottawa Senators are not currently are not making much money right now. They can book but, all but the tragically is, hip uh, tribute bands. This, this is an opportunity to do a lot more 365, more revenue from outside just the hockey team. And you're right. This is one of the things driving up this price. It seems paradoxical is the fact that whoever buys this team wants to spend more money to get this, this, this new arena in a better location done. Snoop, we're going to have Snoop, Snoop among the groups bidding. I mean, you're always wearing LA Kings jerseys, but you know, Snoop, a big, Snoop big and, the, and the weekend both feel like they, and, and Ryan Reynolds would do this obviously to a degree as well, but would obviously open up the NHL and the, and the senators to a, expose it at least to an, an audience, uh, a much bigger audience than it's reaching right now. And that also seems very valuable. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and by the way, let's see who Ryan Reynolds was teaming with the Remington group. You know what the core business is of the Remington Group. <laughs> I do. But that's yeah. that's a real estate firm. So that obviously seeing an opportunity using the team as the the spoke of the wheel. Because what do we say? They're they're just platform companies. And if I've got this really popular brand, and I can really make it more popular, what do I want to do with the real estate, the media, the technology? All, all the the finance, all the ancillary things. And I always go back to one of my favorite examples, and it's Patriot Place up in Foxborough, Massachusetts. Yeah. You know, we go up and we're playing hockey nearby, and it's hey, let's you know, we should stay at the Marriott or the hotel at Patriot Place. 
why it's a little further away from the rink. Why would we do that? Well, I mean, but it's Patriot Place. We could see the field. Yeah, and by the way, there's an Olive Garden there. There's an, there is an Olive oh, Garden. Oh, that's why you like Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jo- Jonathan, <laughs> makes Jonathan Kraft, uh, you know I think Jonathan's super smart, and to put an OG at Patriot Place as if that wasn't enough of a draw, soup, salad, breadsticks, and Brady, that, should, you know, that was it back then, right? Um, but just the point of, I, I, I mean, I see it all the time. We're near there, and people want to go just because it's a sports fan. You're like, I, and I respond like, guys, can we go to the one that's right down the road? Like, I don't need to be at the stadium. No offense to the crafts, but I want to be near the rink. I don't want to have to drive extra time in the morning. But people want to be associated with these teams, and whether it's you see, you know, Tom Brady with the TB12 gyms and workout places, it's, it's the brand, right? That central brand, and then what else? What are the offshoots that we can create with it? You also mentioned media in there, and we can tease next week uh, interview with Scripps Sports President Brian Lawler, where we get into a lot of these things, right? What are hockey teams like the Golden Knights, which Scripps just partnered with? What are they thinking about from a media standpoint, and and what do the economics mean if they are shifting from from the, from the RSN model back into a, a free TV model? Scott, the the Senators are not moving anywhere uh, under new ownership. Um, but it's an easy transition to another hockey team that's having some trouble with a uh, new arena this pobre week. Javier Gutierrez, our, mi amigo Javier Gutierrez, lo siento. P- public referendum vote in Arizona um, did not go the way of the Arizona Coyotes. Their uh, privately financed, I think entirely, arena plan um, was shot down. A huge setback for the NHL, for the Coyotes, and opening up a whole bunch of questions about whether the Coyotes' days in Arizona are numbered, if, if there may be a backup plan here. What's your immediate takeaway from this vote going against the team in the league? Uh, I don't think there is a back. The, the immediate takeaways now you've got sort of chaos and and just whoa, yeah. you know just sort of a panic on what do we do? This was the plan, as far as I know. This was the plan. I don't think there is a plan B and. Now you go into hypotheticals. We know that Tillman Fertitta has a building in Houston and an NBA team, and he would like a hockey team. Uh, you know, there's a building in Quebec, mm-hmm. you know, where the Nordiques moved to Denver. Uh, you know, so do I, I? This not this would not be one of those now, where a commissioner or a board of governors would say, "Well, you know, we'd prefer the team stay. We want to look at every." This is one of those where I suspect, you know, Gary Bettman's statement was like, well, we'll we'll go with the team and look at every avenue, right? Whatever it was. What are the options? This is one where, you, you, you know, Alex Meruelo, he was banking on this real estate part as as the thing. Um, so I, and, unless there's a part that I've missed or, you know, there's page two that I wasn't aware of, it wouldn't shock me if the, the, the Coyotes, which, by the way, who, who are playing in a literally a college rink right now, a five yeah. to the Mullet Arena in Arizona State. They're literally playing. They were willing to do it on a temporary basis, knowing this new building was going to come eventually. But, I mean, now think about it. You don't have that money uh, down the line. They're, they don't have the prospect of something. You're playing in a 5,000-seat arena. It, it just can't give. This is not. This is not a big league situation. I think this conference room I'm in is is, is a larger capacity than, than where the Coyotes play right now. It, it's interesting to me, Scott, that that uh, the Coyotes and, and hockey in Arizona has been so connected to Gary Bettman's legacy as a whole. And obviously he has been such a big proponent of trying to make this market work despite, you know, through multiple owners and despite a lot of evidence that maybe it wouldn't. 
but it does seem actually kind of interesting that that there's a chance that the Arizona hockey future kind of falls apart at the same time that the NHL has a has a semifinals where yep. uh the, the Florida is in Dallas is in Carolina is in a, a new spot in in Vegas also in but this idea of the Sun Belt NHL the, the the Lightning have been one of if not the best hockey team in the NHL over the past decade decade or so um there, there's so there's a lot of evidence of of a lot of the southern expansion in the NHL working really well and the one that is getting obviously the most attention right now is the one that is not going very well. Yeah, and, and you and I have said, you know, what we need to do, we need to call Matt Ishby and say, hey, are, are you interested? You know, is, is this sort of a one-city, two-tenant? I, I Downtown arena right there. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, everybody had a new arena. You, know, you can do Glendale. You know, that's where the, the Coyotes were originally playing out in Glendale. You can do 45 minutes away or more for eight games a year on Sunday for a football team much more difficult for 41 games on a Tuesday, on a Thursday. That That's just a, a more difficult selling. Clearly, that didn't work. Maybe they misread also sort of the population migration and shifted which part of the city people were going to for, for the new area. Uh, no, but this is, this is going to be a big headache. This is now a, a big-time headache. Uh, our own Barry Bloom, a.k.a. Boomski, you know, he was telling me up till yesterday that this thing was going to pass. <laughs> he would, you know, uh, so, all right, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we waited on that one there, Barry. But not only did it not pass, it was pretty uh, overwhelming. It was yeah. shot down with a pretty wide margin. So I, I don't know where they go from here, but uh, they, they may need to uh, get the Mayflower trucks and, and, and back them up. And we should mention that the Coyotes are, are by far the least valuable club in yeah. the NHL. I think we we put them at four hundred and sixty five million dollars. The next closest, the Florida Panthers, at at around six hundred. Um, so th- there's also an argument, I think, for the Coyotes, just from a business standpoint, to the conversation we're having about the NH- NFL earlier, just kind of w- weighting a lot of things down, a- average valuation, et cetera. Um, and it doesn't seem crazy that this team would be worth quite a bit more in a different city, including maybe some of the ones that you just mentioned already. Well, what do you bake in? Let's say Alex Morello wants to sell the team. What, what kind of price does he bake in for the fact that you can probably move somewhere else? I guess that, what that, that's a good question, actually. If, if the NHL and Alex Morello decide, okay, we're, we're giving up on Arizona, how do you do that process? Do you sell this team, you know, open expansion process, kind of like what, what, what the NWSL just did, where a group in Houston can bid and a, a group in Quebec can bid, or if you're the NHL, are you at a point now where you choose your market and then you decide, okay, let's bid on this team as the Quebec Coyotes and then see where things go? I, I tossing in a vote for Moose Jaw. I think Moose Jaw should have a, an NHL team. Moose Jaw Moose? Buffalo Bills? Buffalo. I don't know what the Moose Jaw whatever <laughs> would be, but I think they should absolutely have a team. And, and you know who's going to have a team, by the way, now? Because they don't have a football team. San Diego. Mm, They'll have football, yep. not football. Uh, MLS, <laughs> uh, we thought, uh, I think everybody thought for a while, MLS would expand to Las Vegas. No, not, not. Uh, it's amazing now, Las Vegas, how quickly now there's a major sports. Like, everybody, everybody's in Vegas all of a sudden, right? Um, but we thought Vegas was going to have an MLS team backed by Wes Edens, uh, one of the owners of the Milwaukee Bucks, but couldn't reach agreement. So uh, looks as if MLS is headed to San Diego, with a, did I read this right, Evan? A $500 million fee? Yeah. Yikes. Uh, more than the value of the Coyotes there. Yikes. Uh, yeah. The, and don't forget, by the way, that before 
it looked like Vegas and Russ Edens. It looked like Sacramento and Ron Burkle. Yeah. And that fell apart also. So uh, it, it's been a longer process for this this 30th expansion team than I think MLS would have planned. But yeah, $500 million expansion fee, by far a league record. Uh, the previous record was 325 I believe that that David Tepper played paid to get to get the team in Charlotte three or four years ago. Um, the 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 backers here, Scott. It's an interesting mix. It is um, British slash Egyptian billionaire Mohammed um, Mansour, and then a local native tribe in the Southern California area. They're the two main backers here. They're the ones that are going to have the board seats, et cetera. And then from what I've been told, a handful of, of, of other investors as well. Um, the Chargers obviously left San Diego and, and made a lot of people upset, but it, it seems very clear that there are, there's a successful USL team there from what I understand. Um, there's a successful NWSL team there as well. It does feel as though there are other smaller leagues than the NFL that looked at the Chargers leaving and thought, oh, there's an opportunity there to, to, to bring more top-tier live sports to one of the country's bigger markets. And, and by the way, did I see also USL now challenging the NWSL? Is there room for two top leagues? I mean, something we can do on another show, but we wanted to finish up with our friends over at Fanatics, you know, buying uh, the points bet uh, US betting um, company. Uh, kind of not a surprise. People have been looking for a while that that this could happen, but th the deal is done. And as much as I was surprised at how high the expansion fee was for MLS in San Diego, I looked the other way and I was like, boy, it seems to me Michael Rubin got a real deal for PointsBet's US business at $150 million. Yeah, I think across the industry, a lot of people were shocked by that number. It's like one and a half times multiple on revenue, um, which is not a ton. And if you think about where this industry was and, and where PointsBet was a couple of years ago, this was probably, if it had sold two years ago, could have been a, a $600 million business, could have been more, who knows. Um, so it's a sobering number, I think, for a lot of people who are operating where PointsBet was, which is the low, medium, single digits of of market share in the U.S. It certainly looks like a good deal for Michael. Again, if he had, if he had done this a while ago, it would have cost him a lot more. The bigger question to me for Fanatics, and we'll see, is, is e even though he seems to be getting a, a decent deal here, is this push into sports betting, um, it's definitely a risk. Is it, uh, is it going to end up being a, a, a bad decision? And it's way too early, obviously, to, uh, to tell on that. But yeah, I think the the thing that jumped out to me here, certainly the price, $150 million in cash, 100 up front and 50, I think, at some point next year. Fanatics has already launched its sports book, Scott. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of what gets brought over here from PointsBet outside of just the, the market access in a number of different states. But um, Michael's definitely going for it. And, and as the consolidation and, and the reality hits across U.S. online sports betting, it's increasingly feeling like there's only going to be a handful of players that really, really have significant market share in this business. And if fanatics can do it, great. But it seems like we know who those four or five operators are going to be. Yeah, I feel like like Michael and Fanatics would be like the NFL, like they can afford to take a shot on something, especially sure. if it's $150 million yeah. buy it, right? But I do, I get a little giddy at a sports business hypothesis being tested twice. I think it's the same hypothesis that we saw with Penn and Barstool, that the, the, the people who touch Barstool, there's such a huge audience there, that they're so loyal that they will sign up and do the Barstool you know, betting app or whatever, whatever it is, that they will, they will play there. 
the the hypothesis here is that we're fanatics. We have what 90, 100 million users. I know their data. I can communicate directly with them. That because I have them here already, customer acquisition costs. By the way, Matt King had something interesting to say to you. Uh, at, at a, why don't you finish up with that? But the customer acquisition costs go way down. That makes sense for us. That all these people, the 90 million, they'll obviously bet on the fanatics platform. I don't. We, I don't know if that's true. It wasn't true with Barstool. Maybe it'll be true with fanatics. I don't know. But I, I sure do love watching from afar, and it's not my money involved. It, it's a great point, Scott, because it, you're right. It's not the first sports book to launch in the U.S. saying, we don't need to spend money on advertising like DraftKings does. We have our own built-in marketing system here already. And you're right. It did not, I think it's fair to say, has not worked out exactly the way that Penn National thought it would with Barstool. You mentioned Matt King there, the CEO of Fanatics Betting and Gaming. Uh, I moderated a panel with him uh, middle of last week, so before the Fanatics points bet news came out, and he said that waiting as long as they did market access, so so getting licenses in states was going to cost 40 to 50% less than it would have if they had done it two years ago. I think there's a good chance he was talking specifically about this deal, yeah. Scott, right? That that he knew that they were about to close on a deal that was going to give them market access in, in a dozen plus states. And as I said at the beginning, uh, definitely cost less to buy PointsBet's US business uh, in 2023 than it would have in 2021. Um, so yeah, it, it's an interesting kind of thought here, right? Where the longer you wait, the harder it is to break into and, and compete immediately. But the longer you wait, the cheaper it is uh, to, to get access, right? So at what point in that continuum of wait longer uh, to, to save money, but also uh, to, to, to delay your, 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 your attempt to catch back up, where on the line you want to be in that? And, and Fanatics will be closely watched across the entire industry of people trying to answer that question as well. He is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter, Nova underscore Williams. I am Scott 3, Soshnik on the Twitter, at Soshnik. Our producer is Matt Whitehurst. Thank you very much, Matt. Digital media editor, Cora Veltman. She loves it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of the Sportico Media Network. <laughs>